When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and I wanted to share a radio interview I did on the Apple versus FBI controversy. It was with my friend Dan Lavallo, who hosts a radio show here in Connecticut called Front and Center. It's on WDRC Radio, and uh, we talked about the Apple and FBI controversy as well as some other stuff too, so it's definitely a fun listen to check out. This is an evolving issue. I'll probably come back and do a follow-up video on it at some point because it is uh, you know, an evolving thing that I really am following very closely, and I've been on already uh, two different TV stations, <laughs> two different radio stations, and I also have a podcast interview coming up with a friend of mine uh, from onthehorn.com too, which I'll share on my iTunes audio feed. So lots more to come. But in the meantime, here's that audio interview. And joining me on Front and Center is Lon Seidman of Lon.tv. Lon, welcome to Front and Center. Thanks for having me on. Well, there's a lot going on in regards to Apple and the United States government and the standoff between the FBI and Apple. Uh, first of all, give us an overview of what's involved here. Passwords, passcodes, what's taking place? Yeah, so so the, the gist of what is happening right now is that the, the government is asking for Apple to create a special version of their operating system that would weaken the encryption, essentially, on uh, one particular iPhone. And Apple is op- opposing that. Um, because they fear that if they do it for this one iPhone, then uh, the government will come back later and ask to do it again for others. And for Apple, what's at stake here is that the the iPhone in question at the moment is an older one, which doesn't have um, a hardware-based encryption model that the newer ones do. Uh, and I think they're fearful that if they you know, weaken it for the software-based uh, encryption on this current phone, that uh, the government might have a precedent to force them to do the same on their hardware encryption, which is something they don't want to do. And that's kind of where... Uh, things are at right now. So ba- basically, the issue here is that the encryption on the phone is very strong. Um, the password on the phone likely isn't very strong because, uh, as you know, how hard it is to type things into those little keyboards on your on your on your iPhone. Uh, that you know is is kind of a, a weakness in their security model. So what Apple has done is put in place a uh, optional feature that after ten tries, uh, the 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 phone basically erases itself. <laughs> it's kind of like a self destruct button. Um, so they think that this guy may have turned on that feature on on his phone, so that if somebody tries to go in at, you know more than ten times, it'll erase it. Uh, further, there is also um, some other issues here with the the uh, the, the basic uh, security model in that. Uh, you know, if Apple creates a vulnerability moving forward, that that might allow other governments to uh, either ask for that permission or figure out ways to repeat what Apple is doing to hack their own phones. At the moment, Apple can't actually get into it at all. Well, and I guess one of the questions is, was the government aware that you only get 10 tries and maybe was on try number seven? Did anybody talk about that at all? 
It could be. I mean, they might be. They might just be fearful that if they do try, that it'll it'll um, erase itself. And and you know, I mean, they don't really. They may, they may not know for sure whether or not he turned that feature on or not. Um, the other uh, problem the government has is that in order to brute force, which is what they're trying to do here, it's a, called a brute force attack. Essentially, um, you need to try many passwords very quickly so that you know you you don't hit retirement age before <laughs> before you get into the phone. Um, so what happens also is that the the more times you get the password wrong. Um, the more time Apple puts in between the password entries. So part of what Apple is, or the government is asking Apple to do uh, is to shorten that length of time between attempts. So, you know, to go down to milliseconds versus minutes, because as you know, if you're trying every password you can think of, um, you know, it could take you centuries to get through them all if you have a long delay in between. So uh, that, so even if, even if you didn't activate the self erase feature, uh, the delay feature might be something that would, would prevent them from getting in. And I think after 10 tries, it kind of locks you out for an hour and then you have to come back again later so you get like 10 tries in an hour so as you know if you don't know what the password is at all it's going to take a really long time to get at it should the government have known how to break into one of these phones or is the apple hardware so fantastic and what's inside that phone so unbelievable that nobody is able to break into it I think that actually speaks to the challenge right now is that all of us now have some really strong encryption on our computers and, our, and on our, our devices, and that uh, largely protects us from those who might wish to cause us personal harm, whether it's stealing credit card information or breaking into a company or whatever. So there's a lot of security that comes from uh, this encryption technology. The problem for the government is, is that it's gotten so good uh, that they really can't reasonably crack that security. The um, the number of combinations involved with the security keys that encrypt this data are so immense that uh, it would like, likely take centuries with the current technology to try to guess what those combinations are to get in. Um, so a, a large part of the government's efforts, whether it's the NSA or the FBI or others, is to uh, get into computers before data is encrypted. In other words, find backdoors into the computer some way, somehow. So there was a recent uh, example of a, a child pornography ring that was broken up uh, with the government actually installing malware on uh, the computers of the perpetrators of, the, of these crimes. who um, So basically the government was able to get into the computer before things were encrypted because the encryption is just so hard to crack now, and that, that's part of the conundrum the government is in. And consumers really need this protection because, as you saw you know, with the Sony hack and so many other hacks that have been publicized in the news lately, when things are available and open, uh, they are used by people for, for bad uh, purposes. And it's almost – I liken it to this is you know, we walk around with these phones in our pocket. They're our personal filing cabinet essentially. Um, and somebody could break into your house essentially from Russia if they wanted to, which wasn't possible in, in the past when we only kept paper records. If somebody wasn't physically near you, they couldn't break into your home. Uh, now, without encryption, uh, anyone around the world can do that, and that is why the encryption is needed and why it's so strong, but it creates issues there. And you know, part of what Apple is concerned with here is that even though the government isn't necessarily asking for a backdoor to the encryption, they're asking for a backdoor to the, the password uh, feature of the encryption, essentially, um, their fear is that if you create a backdoor to the encryption, uh, that creates a vulnerability that others could exploit later and or find ways to get into. Right now, there's no way in. Uh, and if you create a way in, even though the government right now would have, would be the only party with access to it, it doesn't mean someone else couldn't figure out a way in also, and that's part of the, the, the problem. Even Apple, they say, can't break into their own phones. Talking with Lon Seidman from Lon.TV on Front and Center. Uh, what about we see what's happened with some of our government files being hacked 
by uh, traceback uh, allegedly to Russia and to China and to Iran, even though those countries deny it. What about those countries being able to hack our government files, yet we can't get into an Apple phone? Yeah, well, that's that's another good point. Is you know, I, I you you wonder how how good the government could keep secrets like like how to break into an iPhone if if they can't protect data that, um, you know, they're you know for their own employees, for example, as we saw just just recently, and that happened both at the state level and, and at the federal level. I mean, in fairness, the the FBI and the Department of Defense have much greater security uh, expertise than perhaps the uh, the OPM does, but um, it's still a very uh, a very good point that you know the government hasn't exhibited really good care in. Protecting protecting data of its employees. So I think uh, consumers should have the right to be able to keep their data protected. You know, one, one solution to this problem uh, might be one where, you know, there is a unique security key for every phone and maybe Apple keeps those keys accessible within, you know, their company for subpoenas or something where you can keep the data protected. Uh, but if, if a subpoena or a warrant was issued to Apple, they could, you know, release the security key to the government for them to, you know, access that one phone or that one account. Um, because we are going to have to have some kind of compromise here. I mean, the fact is that, you know, there there are legitimate reasons, especially in the cases of terrorism or criminal activity, that the government should have access to communications of those people. And we've established those uh, those norms for telephone wiretapping, for example. Um, those laws actually apply to our Skype conversation right now, Dan. I'm, I'm sure we're not interesting enough to the government, <laughs> hopefully, but um, you know that they have the ability to tap this conversation under the wiretapping laws. And I think that is probably where we're headed here, is that there's going to be some standard established for uh, how you know the government can get access, or law enforcement or the military for that matter, can get access to uh, you know, communications that they need to get access to. The challenge of being in an international world, though, uh, is that it, if the U.S. government seeks that kind of uh, access, then the Chinese government might want the same kind of access for uh, different reasons. And uh, as you know, in China, they don't have the constitutional protections that we have. So there's there's less of a barrier for government gaining access to private information overseas. So there's a lot of complexity to this that just doesn't apply to the United States alone. Why do I think, Lon, that at some point we're going to see some congressional committee and sitting opposite that committee behind one of those big tables is going to be Tim Cook. I'm sure he will be there. And I think you have to think about the problem that he's under here because he, he's not dealing just with the United States government. He's dealing with hundreds of governments around the world who, uh, again, don't apply the same legal protections to their citizens that we do here in the U.S. And uh, I think part of the reason why Apple has made it impossible for even them to get into these phones is for that reason. They just don't they want to be able to go to these governments and honestly say we have no means of accessing these phones, uh, which so far has worked for them. And I think the U.S. government is, is getting into uh, some treacherous territory here in making the request the way they are making it. And uh, it will be interesting to see what kind of compromise comes out of this, because I think it's reasonable to be able to get, gain access to a terrorist's phone. Um, but how you do that is really going to be the, 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 the question here moving forward. Well, and I think the government is also going to use as its case the fact that this was a phone issued by a government entity. Uh, one of the terrorists was uh, working for uh, the, the, the state government, I guess. And that's how he got that phone line. Right. I mean, you think about how, how absurd it is that this guy was using his government-issued phone to potentially commit acts of terrorism, but that's the case. And apparently the IT person, from what I've been reading at, at uh, in some of the news articles, that he actually, or he or she, uh, d did something to the password that had where it had been once accessible was no longer accessible, hence the reason why the FBI was making the request in the first place. So there is some uh, enterprise management tools that uh, may or may not have been used here that could have prevented all this in the first place. But, um, you know, it, it certainly created an interesting uh, dynamic here. And it was also interesting to see which uh, particular phone the government chose to make this case about, because there have been other instances where Apple has denied 
or, or just said we can't get into phones of, of, uh, of people under investigation, but the government chose this particular issue to make its point. You know, one of the things I'm hearing, Lon, is that why can't the government, and maybe Apple agrees to this, why can't the government take the phone to Apple and then in Cupertino, California, wherever, and then somebody from Apple goes into a back room with nobody else looking and somehow extracts that information and gives it to the government? I think that's the, the heart of our, Apple's argument is that because at the moment they do not have a means of, of doing that. I mean, they could – I think they could based on what the government has suggested they do, which is create a customized version of the operating system that circumvents the this uh, auto erase and uh, this uh, delay feature on the password. Um, they could probably do it. I think Apple's concern is that at the moment the, this – this does not exist as a piece of software, and their fear is that if they do create this, it, it allows other governments to request that similar feature or uh, creates a vulnerability in their security model that would lead to uh, making their platform insecure, and that's why they're opposing that. And, and that, you know, I think that's really the, the heart of the issue because at the moment, uh, there is no way to do what they're doing. And you're right, only Apple can do it right now. And, and because Apple has a, another set of encryption keys that allow the phone to actually have software updated on it. Um, so, you know, those are the things that Apple would have to do. And I think Apple's opposing this largely because it would weaken their whole security model. Uh, as we were uh, preparing for this interview, I sent you a story that has come out about how Apple seems to bo be more lenient when it comes to security checks, et cetera, with the Chinese government. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so it looks like there's certainly some things that Apple has done with the Chinese government to to be able to do business there. Um, I don't know what extent they're they're doing. I mean, the article basically alluded to that that um, China authorities carry out quote unquote security checks. This is an article on uh, France 24 uh, to make sure that the U.S. had not installed any spyware um, essentially. Um, but I, I I think you know if, if we don't know the extent of what cooperation Apple has had with the U.S. government in the past either. I mean, Apple has said that they've you know co cooperated with all requests for data, and I, I believe even in this case they they turned over the backup file. Uh, that this user had stored of their phone in iCloud. So they do have access to a lot of data that was on the phone, although I guess the backup stopped like two weeks before the, the incident happened. So that's part of why the government wants to get at his phone. Um, but, I mean, they, I, I, you, know, you, you have to imagine that Apple is complying with requests for access to data in other countries like they do here. And, and unfortunately, they'll never talk about it, nor will, will we ever know. Um, and you know, one could certainly uh, kind of hypothesize from that that if there is a dissident in China that uh, the government wants to get some information on, then and they provide a, a warrant to Apple in, the, in that country's under that country's laws, they probably are turning that data over. Unfortunately, are we uh, to believe that Apple phones then are more secure than Android phones, such as a Samsung Galaxy? I th you know, it depends on how you have the phone configured. So the current version of Google Android also has a phone encryption feature that will encrypt the entire phone. Um, what I'm not aware of is whether or not that's in hardware or if, you know, where the security keys are stored. So basically the way this works, you know, encryption is very much like a lock and key. Um, so, so the lock is essentially the, 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 the door to the data. Um, the key is something that 
uh, allows that door to be unlocked. Now, like anything digital, if you have a copy of the key, you can get in and, and grab the data off of the phone. So if the key, in the case of the Android phone, is stored on Google servers, then a subpoena could get that key uh, from Google, and the government could essentially unlock it. If the key is not stored on Google servers and only on the phone, like it is in the case of Apple, then the government can't get access to it uh, because the key is, is encrypted <laughs> itself. And in the case of Apple, it's a password that encrypts the key. Uh, which then decrypts the data, and uh, it depends really where those keys are are stored. So I'm, I don't know enough about the Google security model, but I would imagine that um, they're taking this as seriously as Apple is. So I would imagine they probably are storing the keys locally on on the phones. But that's a newer development on the Android side. Apple has been encrypting uh, their data on phones, I believe, since iOS seven a couple of years ago, and that was an optional feature back then. It uh, became a you know basically a mandatory feature, if you will, uh, moving forward from iOS eight. So um, it's uh, certainly something that was newer to Apple and, and now newer to Google, too. So most of the modern phones now are encrypting. You know, it's interesting, however, and that is that normally, as you know, Google and Apple are at loggerheads, but this time Google is backing Apple in this fight. Yeah, they are. And actually, Google was pretty upset with the government because it, it became apparent. So what's happening was Google's uh, email service, Gmail, and many of their other Google services were uh, sharing data within the company. In other words, uh, you know, they have a worldwide operation, Google, and, and they were moving data between servers. And they were moving data unencrypted between those servers. And apparently the NSA was was snooping in on that data as it was moving across uh, the, the Internet back and forth into Google's infrastructure. And Google was quite obviously upset about that, so they, they locked everything down. And I think the issue is is that uh, – and it is kind of a branding thing. I mean, Apple was accused of making a marketing ploy here, but you know anything a company does is really about marketing in, in, in essence. And um, one of the things that Google and Apple in particular have been stressing to users is that, yes, we are aware that you're turning over a lot of information about yourself to us, but we want you to trust us. And um, they they need to you know do things to make sure that their customers maintain that trust of them because that is you know kind of essential to their business model. That you know you wouldn't buy an Apple phone if you knew the government could open it up and and look at it, or some other person could as well. So um, that you know part of why they encrypted their data was to give their users assurance that. Uh, no one is going to be snooping on their data, and that was, you know, why Google took the same stand that that Apple has has taken, and I would imagine Facebook and others will probably do the same thing. Talking with Lon Seidman from Lon.tv. What's fascinating about this entire story, however, is I guess those of us who have Apple products, iPhones or MacBooks, etc., have to be pretty encouraged to know that we're our, our devices are pretty secure if they're Apple, Lon. Yeah, they are. I mean, it, and it comes down to some – you have to, act, I guess, develop some literacy also about how security works too because, um, you know, really making sure that you're using strong passwords and not, you know, putting the same password on more than one website. You know, oftentimes if uh, somebody gets your password on, you know, on one website, they can gain access to a lot of other things that you have as well. And uh, we've seen many instances now where uh, somebody does what's called a social engineering attack where they call a customer service agent with, you know, two pieces of information that are very well known about you and able to get further into your life, essentially. It's happened to a number of journalists already. So um, there are things like, and we've talked about this in the past, two-factor authentication that you might want to enable on your accounts. You know, you really look at a lot of the resources that Google, Apple, and many others have available for users to 
uh, better secure their accounts because there is some things that we as consumers have to do. Again, strong passwords, two-factor authentication, uh, developing some understanding of as to how people gain access to our data uh, so that we can better protect ourselves because it is a it is a two-way street and uh, really it starts with uh, with your personal password. And you know this is so important because as you know we're becoming so technologically plugged in as a society. The other day I'm in line at a Dunkin' Donuts and somebody in front of me just takes out his smartphone and pays for it by holding his smartphone up to the scanner and yeah. I mean that really is the future. The future is now. It, it's amazing. I have the I have the Apple Watch and and I can make purchases uh, with my watch, which is amazing. Like you know, you go to the sandwich shop, just just wave the the watch in front of the the thing and it, and it scans. And and you know that's an example of things that uh, Apple has been doing, is, you know, especially uh, well. I mean, if, if you look at the encryption model they've put together, it's better than what the credit card companies are using on their chip and pin system that that is out there. You know, it's faster, it's more secure. Um, and I think the, there's certainly some some value that they're bringing to the market with this. Encryption encryption because we've seen now, uh, especially in the case of the Target hack most recently and many other retailers also, that uh, when those credit card numbers are being stored, they can very easily be plucked out of those servers if things are not properly encrypted. Meanwhile, if you're using something like Apple Pay or Android Pay now, Google has a similar service, uh, that credit card number is safely stored behind the Google or Apple servers, and the number being used for the purchase is just a a temporary thing. Um, So there's certainly a lot of uh, great benefit that these encryption technologies bring. Um, we have to figure out the balance now of how do we prevent bad people from using them also. I want to direct my audience to Lon.TV because you've always got a lot of information. And one of the things which caught my eye is this scanning negatives with, uh, what is it, Silverfast software? Give us yeah. a quick overview on that. Yeah, so this this one was, in full disclosure, a sponsored post, but it's actually it's something that can be used with a bunch of different other software products also. So one of the things I've been looking at lately is I, I have, you know, we probably all do, shoe boxes full of yes. photo negatives, right? <laughs> um, so there's some great uh, means now that you can get a flatbed scanner, kind of load these things in a little tray and just start scanning them in and, and be able to turn them into digital pictures, essentially. And um, it's really uh it's been around for a while but i think there's a greater and much uh you know, growing uh, consumer interest in doing this is because we're all digital now with our photographs that we need to have uh, some way of getting those old pictures in as well and embarrass our friends on Facebook with them. So uh, I've been <laughs> really fascinated with trying to get some in. I, I have I've literally just found a whole bunch of stuff when I was in, in high school. Um, uh, with, I had a photography class and doing my own developing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of going through some of those pictures and getting them in there. And again, that speaks to the encryption model again, Dan, right? Because right. we need to store these somewhere. And, um, you know, Google and Apple and everyone else offers these photo services and you know I, I have nothing to hide on my, my pictures they're pretty they're pretty uh, uh, low-key but still it's these are my private photographs that are right now only accessible in a shoebox that I'd like to keep uh, that same level of privacy towards and having the encryption there really makes that that happen uh, is is the software expensive uh, you can get it for about 50 bucks, and some of the scanners that are out there actually come bundled with it, so it, it helps. And what's nice is that what I, what I liked about what they put together on their software um, is that it has a scratch remover, so it, it can do a um, – some of these scanners have an infrared layer to them, so it can actually find physical damage on the negative uh, and remove the scratches for you before you have to do it in Photoshop or something like that, so it does a pretty nice job. You said 5050? Uh, five oh yeah, forty nine dollars. Oh. There's, there's obviously different tiers. So you can go up to three hundred dollars to get the real creme de la creme version. But I think for most people, fifty bucks will probably do it. So if you 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 buy this bundled, so you you've got the actual hardware in order to scan the negatives, and it scans through the software right into the computer. 
That's right. That's right. So you can get yourself a pretty, but it's essentially, you know, there's a, people that are shooting with the digital uh, SLRs are shooting what's called raw, which is basically a, a t- taking the yep. data right off the sensor so you can really get a lot of uh, detail pulled out of the picture. And this is basically doing the same thing with the old film is that you're, you're scanning in a negative and ba- making it into or even starting with the raw image. Uh, and getting, in many cases, a better copy of the picture than uh, the photo mat did for you 20 or 30 years ago. So it's a really, it's really neat to kind of bring these old pictures back to life, especially if uh, you know, so many of us have them stored. And even, you know, they've been in closets and kind of in actually pretty good condition. So when you pull these images out, you're going to be surprised by how good they look when you get them on screen. Can you buy this online or can you go into a, any store and, and buy this? Because it obviously does involve some hardware. Yeah, so the hardware is uh, you know largely available. I think I think it's bundled on some Epson um, printers and PlusTech uh, scanners. I'm sorry, uh, PlusTech scanners. So there's there's certain scanners that are designed for this. So you, it's not just going to be like buying one of those all-in-one printers. But the um, the scanner I used in the video was about 160 dollars from Canon. Um, so very reasonably priced. Does a very nice job for the money. There's another one from Epson that costs a little bit more that I do believe comes bundled with that um, software. Um, so that's part of the, the purchase price is the software comes with it. But you can buy um, the Silverfast software on uh, Silverfast's uh, website. I think it's silverfast.com. Um, but they also have, um, uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of the scanners do come with their own software too, but the Silverfast software just does a little bit of a better job with the scratch detection than some of the built-in stuff does. Awesome stuff. Lon, we're also going to have to get you back at some point to talk about the cloud because I get a lot of questions from people. How does the cloud actually work? So perhaps you can educate our audience about that down the road. Sure, happy to do it. It works great when it's not raining. (laughs) (laughs) As always, a pleasure, and I direct people to Lon's website, lon.tv. Lon, as always, thank you for joining us on Front and Center. Thanks for having me. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporter Shabib. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.